Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He turns out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. What's up? Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast. As always, we're presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of The Green Solution's 17 Colorado locations, or you can browse their inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Friday edition of the program, Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark coming to you after this Nuggets Game 3 loss to the Spurs. Denver falls in San Antonio tonight to the Spurs, 118-108. A frustrating game for Denver. A lot of stuff we're going to get into. Some potential lineup changes incoming for the Nuggets. We'll talk about that. I felt some frustration in the Nuggets locker room after this one just because these two teams have played now three times. They're familiar with one another and still... Denver is getting beat by the same stuff every time, it seems. So we'll get into that and some adjustments Denver can make going forward. Where do you want to start with this one? Well, we should probably start with Derek White, who I think just drove right and hit another layup. (laughs) Derek White was unreal in this one. And you're right. He drove right every time down the floor. He got to the paint every time down the floor. And he almost scored. Every time down the floor for the Spurs tonight, he was unreal. I could not believe the looks he was getting one time, two times, three times, right by Jamal Murray on the perimeter. Like you said, to his right side almost every time. He goes for 36 points, a career high for him, 15 of 21 shooting. One of four from three, and the thing that stuck out about his night was it was all around the rim. There was one point in this game where he had seven field goals or so six of them came right at the rim so the high efficiency wasn't really a surprise but Denver just could not stop him yeah Monty Morris said after the game that Denver knew all of San Antonio's plays they know the counter to those plays you know I think what this came down to was simply staying in front of a guy one-on-one and for most of this game uh, Jamal Murray and some other guys were, were just not able to do that with Derek White 
I mean, the thing that this guy likes to do most on the def- on the offensive end is just get to his right hand and get inside and finish. That's where he's at his best, finishing around the rim. He's not, you know, an excellent three-point shooter. He's a guy who can shoot the three, but that's what you want to kind of force him to do. And, man, the Nuggets did not do that. Just just poor closeouts, Matador defense. It was it was pretty embarrassing, frankly. It was embarrassing. Derek White is a really good young player. Let's not talk about him like he's Dwayne Wade circa 2006. You know, like, like he's a good young guard. He's not regarded as this unbelievable attacker of the basket by any means. His night to me just spoke to Denver's inability to defend the ball. And honestly, this has been an issue for this team for the last two seasons. Up and down the roster, night in and night out, Denver has not been able to stop dribble penetration for the large part over these last couple of seasons. We feel pretty frustrated watching it for two years straight. I can only imagine how frustrated Mike Malone is as he's watched one, two, three point guards over and over and over drive past his guards. I've said it before this year, and I stand by it. I think Denver's number one issue is their inability to guard one-on-one, just contain dribble penetration. You know, the, the way their team's set up, obviously, they're, they're just, they don't have an elite eraser on the back end. Nikola Jokic is not that guy. Mm-hmm. I think he does some good things at defensive end, but he's not going to clean up other teammates' mistakes. So it becomes that much more important for guards to just stay in front of their man one-on-one and, and not let them get into the paint. And that's, you know, where so many of the breakdowns occur. Jamal Murray has got to get better as a one-on-one defender. I mean, he got exposed in this game. It was it was pretty ugly to watch. I mean, Jamal Murray is getting cooked in this series, and there are other guys in Derek White too, but man, I mean, this battle has been, apart from one quarter, really freaking lopsided. This point guard battle, and I'm glad you're getting into this right now, it's pretty representative of this entire series, right? San Antonio should be up 3-0 to zero in this series, if you ask me. They should be up 3-0. They should be looking for the sweep Saturday at home. Denver lucked out and got an unbelievably hot quarter from Jamal Murray in the fourth on Tuesday in Denver to somehow get a win in game two. But in my mind, San Antonio should be looking for the sweep and probably would be sweeping the Nuggets on Saturday at home if you know things had gone a little more normal in that game too. But anyways, the Derek White and Jamal Murray matchup, it's pretty representative and symbolic of this entire series. And I think the Spurs have really dominated, to be quite honest. And Derek White has dominated Jamal Murray. He's scored better than Jamal Murray. He's locked Jamal Murray up on the defensive end of the floor. He's taken care of the ball way better than Jamal Murray. He's run his team better than Jamal Murray. This has been a clinic from Derek White. I think he's been the best player in the series. He's been unbelievable to watch for these three games. He has the same amount of playoff reps as Jamal Murray, and he plays with the poise of a 15-year veteran who's been in countless NBA Finals before. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen White just snatch it for Murray outright or block his shot or get a deflection? He's a little bit longer, um, and and he's an excellent side-to-side defender, I think. He's really been bothering Murray. I mean, We've said before that Murray, on the offensive end, he needs to get better at at just being able to go by guys. He's not that explosive, and I don't know if there's some tricks he can pick up, but you know his only move a lot of the time is the step-back jumper. That's kind of the only thing he's got in his arsenal. He relies on a lot. I mean, Murray could not get by White in this game. Uh, 
a couple of memorable sequences where White just took it from him. And yeah, man, I mean, Jamal Murray's two biggest flaws, I, I think, as a player are not being able to guard one-on-one a lot of the time and not being able to blow by guys on the offensive end. And I think both of those, you know, really reared their heads in this game. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, Derek White, he's regarded as more of a defender than an offensive player, actually. So the fact that Jamal Murray is struggling to score in this series isn't as big of a surprise to me as the fact that Derek White is just looking like Russell Westbrook on Jamal Murray on the offensive end of the floor. We came into this series knowing Jamal isn't the greatest perimeter defender, but like I just said, it's not like Derek White is this all-world offensive talent either, but he certainly has seemed like one against Murray. Outside of that one quarter, outside of Jamal Murray's 21-point fourth quarter in Game 2 at home on Tuesday, Derek White has handily outplayed him in 11 of 12 quarters in this series, and it hasn't even been close, and it's really been the one matchup that kind of speaks volumes, in my opinion, about how this series has gone. How do the Nuggets defend Derek White going forward? I mean, you've got Bryn Forbes out there who's hurt Denver already this series in games one and partly in game two. DeRozan has hurt Denver at times. How do the Nuggets match up with these guys going forward, you think? Well, it's going to be really interesting to see if Michael Malone makes a change to his starting lineup. He wouldn't definitively say tonight if he would or not. I mean, one option is, I guess, start Malik Beasley and have him guard DeRozan, have Gary Harris guard Derek White and leave Jamal Murray on Bryn Forbes. I think that makes some sense. Um, But I also wouldn't be surprised if if Malone doesn't change anything either and just rolls with it and and just tells Murray, hey, look, you've just got to be better for us to have a chance. So, we, I mean, we've just seen Malone, you know, be loyal and, and really stick to his guns in the past. And that's probably what his decision is going to come down to. He's going to have to decide, this is Michael Malone, does he want to stick with the guys who have gotten him to 54 wins and, in a sense, go down with the ship if they do lose that way? Or does he want to try to mix things up and try to regain some momentum in Game 4 on Saturday? Personally, I'd look to mix things up. I don't think Will Barton has much in the tank right now. We've spoken about his struggles a lot this year, coming back from injury and whatnot. And it's been pretty clear he just hasn't looked himself. Shooting the ball, his shot has totally abandoned him in the playoffs so far. And even towards the end of the season, it did. He doesn't have that same rhythm with his offensive game. He doesn't have that same burst, that same cadence or explosion around the rim. He's struggling right now. And you feel for him because he's been through a lot this year and he's clearly not 100%. He's clearly not himself, but he's not a threat out there for the Nuggets right now. And the byproduct of that is the Spurs aren't treating him like a threat. They're not guarding him like a shooter from three-point range. They're sloughing off him. Whoever is guarding Barton can give some really nice help side defense. So I will look to make a change if I'm Denver. It's not something you'd hope to do heading into game four of this series. But the way things are going and the way you could see game four going on Saturday in San Antonio, you could see it unfolding very similar to how game three did. You drop game four, I think the series is probably over. And so I think you try to catch that problem before it ultimately kills you. I think I'm there. I think I'm ready for them to, to make a change to the starting lineup. Um, 
you know, they could just throw out Beasley. I think that would make the most sense. I guess they could go Morris, Murray, and, and Harris in their backcourt. That's pretty small, but Morris does a pretty good job containing one-on-one, even if Derek White does have quite a bit of size on him. But, yeah, I think it's time to make the change. Will Barton was not even looking at the basket earlier in this game. I mean, he, he just does not have any confidence in his jump shot. It's a really tough situation, you know, getting booed after you cling one off the side of the backboard. I feel for him, too. I, this injury definitely has played a part in, in just kind of train wrecking his season. Just look at the numbers, the four full seasons he's been in Denver. Just l- his lowest numbers across the board. I think it's clear that this injury has affected him. But, yeah, it's. I think it's time to make a change. I agree. And for me, the only guy I could really see jumping into the starting lineup is Beasley. And quite frankly, he's really giving Mike Malone a lot of reasons to insert him into the starting lineup. I mean, he's been fantastic in these playoffs. I did not think coming into this game that he had been playing nearly enough. And, you know, he finally gets up near the 30-minute mark in this one. He plays 28 minutes, goes 7-13 to from the field for 20 points. Denver's second highest score on the night. Knocked down five of six threes in this one. 7 to 13 from the field. He gives Denver their most accurate three-point threat on this roster right now. He's the guy who I would trust by far the most in making a three-pointer like if my life depended on it. He is the clear choice right now. He gives Denver an athlete which I think can help them get up and down the floor a little bit easier and pushing the pace is such a necessary part of the Nuggets game plan against the Spurs I think he can help out with that and also Malik Beasley and I mentioned this on a show earlier this week he can just change a game and change the energy of a game so quickly whether it's a three-point shot and you know he's never going to be shy to shoot it the second he comes in a game he's usually looking to put up a three good or bad look he can change the momentum of a game like that he can inject energy into an arena, into a team with a play like that, and also with one of his dunks. So he's a guy who I think needs to be featured more. He's been kind of cracking the surface of what we think his potential could be all season. He's had a great year, and I think it's time to reward him for it. I can't believe how efficient Malik Beasley has scored the basketball this year. I mean, he finished up eighth uh, in Denver's franchise leaderboard for effective field goal percentage in the regular season. He's carried that over into the playoffs. I mean, you talk about gravity. I mean, any sliver of daylight, any like two inches of space Malik Beasley gets, he's going up with that three. He gets up pretty high off the ground. Uh, I mean, it's a straight up and down shot. He doesn't need a whole lot of space to get it off. And that thing is just a freaking thing of beauty. So, yeah, man, I mean, he is, I think, clearly Denver's best jump shooter as it stands right now. And... You know, I don't think you'd really be giving up that much in the defensive end by swapping him and Barton. I mean, I, I view them pretty similar in the defensive end. They, they both make a lot of mistakes. They're both probably a negative, but they, they can play well at times. And, you know, just what you gain on the offensive end, I think that trade-off is definitely worth it. I'd hold Barton in a bit higher regard on defense, but I agree it's close. And offensively, you're obviously getting way more with Malik Beasley out there just based on how both those guys have looked over these three playoff games so far. I think it's the logical move to make. I think you make it now instead of potentially making it after another loss here in game four, which I could 
very easily see happening. And by then, it's probably too late. So I think you get ahead of it uh, and, and make this move prior to Saturday's Game 4 here in San Antonio. See if you can spark something. See if you can get a win. And then you win Game 5 and then probably push this thing to 7 when it's all said and done. So I'll be curious to see what happens. Like you said a couple minutes ago, Michael Mullen said after this game that he's not leaning towards making a lineup change, but would instead tweak his rotation, get Malik Beasley in there earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I it, It's hard to feel strongly one way or the other. I, I, I kind of think that once he looks at the film and has a little time to reflect and it's, he's not in the heat of the moment, then... I think he's going to realize the the best move is probably just to throw Beasley out out there. So okay, if I if I had a bet on it, I'd say he makes a change. But I hope you're right. Yeah, it's hard to say. And Malone is an unbelievably loyal guy, and you know that's part of what makes him a great coach. I mean, his, his guys love him, but I, I think this is an instance where you just got to move on. Yeah, I could see him doing it because we have seen Michael Malone. When there needs to be a tough decision to make about the rotation, he's been willing to make it when it comes to removing Isaiah Thomas after nine games. That was a tough decision to make. Probably about as tough as this one, to be quite honest. But he did make it. It was the right decision. It was the right timing, it turned out. And so I wonder if he follows a similar line of thought with this. I mean this this is your season essentially in game 4. Yeah. I don't I don't think Denver can come back from 3 games to 1. And that's why you have to make this move now. And that's why you have to get ahead of it and make this move before game 4. Because if you wait till you lose game 4, you know, like you said it's over at that point. A lot more to get to from this game. Quick word from Strava Craft Coffee though. Strava Craft Coffee is the CBD enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped to decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. What were your impressions of AT&T Center? I'm dying to know it was your first time here. I saw a game here last season, but what did you think of the basketball cathedral, as I like to call it? Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, It was fun as hell, man. The fans were were great, objectively speaking. They were loud. They they had the Go Spurs Go thing going almost the entire night right behind us. That's still kind of ringing in my ears, and... Most importantly, their mascot is a freaking nut job. I was, I mean, I was, I, I was just delighted watching him the whole game. Like he had pretty funny bits. I mean, he just had a, a hilarious pandering bit where he was just like holding up different signs during the timeout of Texas stuff versus Colorado stuff. Like he would hold up a Colorado flag, the fans of Boone would hold up a Texas flag, and be like, yeah. And the food part was the best, man. He held up like a salad, I think it was, for Colorado, and they, of course, booed. And then he held up a taco for Texas, and they went nuts, as if Colorado doesn't have excellent tacos. The other great part of that bit was when he just held up a rectangle, and nobody knew what it was. (laughs) And then he held up an outline of the state of Texas, and everybody cheered. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then he holds up the rectangle of Colorado and everybody boos. That's a stupid rectangle. <laughs> they also had another great bit. Baby boomers versus millennials. <laughs> a trivia game where you ask baby boomers and millennials trivia questions that are just like the easiest and stupidest trivia questions ever. But somehow they managed to pick the two dumbest people in the arena for this bit. The best part about that bit was when they played uh, Old Town Road and they asked the baby boomer who was the guy rapping on it and he didn't get it and it was Billy Ray Cyrus and then they played the millennial Aggie Breaky Heart and they're like, who was this singing this country song? And he didn't get it and it was Billy Ray Cyrus. It was back-to-back Billy Ray yeah. Cyrus songs. That millennial had been living under a rock for the past <laughs> two weeks. That's all I can say about that guy. He also didn't even know who Johnny Carson was and just randomly guessed when they put his name or when they put his picture on the screen as a talk show host. It's like He was like, oh, I don't know, Johnny Carson? Correct. Yeah, in his head he was probably like, Dwight Eisenhower? No, that's not it. Yeah, there are some good bits tonight, but... Yeah, AT&T Center is a tough place to play. It's one of those arenas that was not built like for hockey. So the fans are right on top of the court. The fans are right on top of the media. It's loud. I've been telling you guys all week how tough it was going to be to play in San Antonio and why I didn't think Denver was probably going to win this game three anyways. But the fans are so loud there. They're right on top of you, and they make a ton of noise. And when the Spurs are going, I mean, that place is, is just deafening. That is such an advantage to, to have a, an arena specifically built for basketball. And, you know, it'd just be wasteful to, like, build a, a separate hockey arena if you are if you have the hockey team and the basketball team, so I get it. But Utah, San Antonio, these arenas that are built specifically for pro basketball teams, you get a little bit more of an edge just, to, you know, in your crowd's noisemaking department, I think. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. How do you think Denver reacted to the crowd tonight and the noise and the intensity and the stakes of tonight's matchup? Do you think they held their poise? I thought the bench did. I thought the bench was excellent. I mean, that that 16-0 run was so, so impressive in helping Denver claw back into this game. I mean, overall, I don't know. I don't know that the crowd you know, was the reason that Jamal Ray couldn't stay in front of Derek White. Uh, there, there were times when... The Nuggets didn't look terribly composed in the offensive end. They, f- they finished with 13 turnovers, which is, is not a terrible mark. Uh, Jamal Murray had four of those, by the way. Um, I don't I don't think they looked too rattled, to be honest. I mean, they shot the three ball pretty well. I, I just think they stunk on defense. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they've really looked too rattled in any of these playoff games here. This would have been the one where they would have looked rattled, but... I feel like they held their own for the most part. They shot the ball well from three. Denver shot 52% from three-point range in this game. The fact that they shot 52% from three and lost by 10, and granted, this game was closer than the score indicated probably, but still, and this wasn't even a game that came down to the last possession or two, that's pretty troubling if you're the Nuggets right there because throughout these first couple of games we've said, Oh, the Nuggets, once they start hitting their threes, you know, they've just got so much talent that they're going to be able to beat the Spurs. Well, you've got to have your talent show up on the defensive end and not just part in both directions when Derek White tries to go to his right hand. Yeah, and it's just really hard if, you know, 40% of your starting lineup is really struggling. And that's been the case for most of this series, really. 
um, especially these last two games. I thought Wilbart was actually okay in game one, but you know, to have Murray struggling for three quarters last game, Barton, Barton struggling the whole time, and, and both of them I thought were, were very, very poor in this game, you just can't win that way. Yeah, let, let's stick on the starters because while Jamal Murray ha- has certainly struggled here in his first playoff series, Will Barton has obviously struggled in his first playoff series where he's getting significant rotation minutes, but you know the injury has a lot to do with it. Paul Millsap has been solid, I felt like. Gary Harris did not have a great night tonight, but he had a great games one and two, so he gets a bit of a pass. Nicole Jokic has been great. He's been great, I, I think, in all three of these games pretty much, and you could pick apart his game one a little. Maybe he wasn't as aggressive as it could be. Game two, I felt like the Spurs doubled him less, and he looked even more aggressive, and you know, I liked how he played tonight. Not his best game of the year by any means, but he's shooting the three ball with some confidence right now, and he's scoring, and he's he's just playing with nice rhythm. Yeah, here's what I'll say about Jokic's night. Number one, it was great to see him knock down some threes, uh, three of six from deep. I thought this was a game where Jokic could have gone for 35-plus. Um, I thought... You know, the Nuggets were going to need like just a heroic effort from Jokic, and I thought they got a very good one, but I, th- I, I thought Jokic could have done even more in this game, to be honest with you. He, he didn't, you know, live in the post or anything like that. I mean, he got a, a couple of buckets in the post, especially as this game wore on, but I thought there were just a lot more opportunities, especially early in the game, for him to, to just be aggressive and. I mean, Denver is going to need it like an A-plus Nicole Jokic game to to win this one tonight with Murray and Barton struggling. But as good as he was, I would have liked to see a little bit more. I agree. I mean, he should be able to really dominate this matchup with Jakob Pertl. And Pertl ha- has had a great series. I feel like he's played above and beyond what most people expected of him. Did you catch... Nikola Jokic's response at the podium here late Thursday night when he was asked about a question regarding Jakob Pertl. Uh he, he paused for a long time. He paused for a long time. The question was uh, to the tune of, you know, what did he do that made it difficult on you? Which, I mean, I don't know how legit of a question that was. It's not like Jokic had too much trouble with Pertl. He had... 22 on the night but like I said Pirtle has played well this series I think he's been a a good factor a good deterrent from Jokic and and Jokic kind of paused and said like I don't know he's really long and tall and strong it felt like to me he was kind of beating around the bush and thinking in his mind to himself that like man I dominate this scrub like what are these guys talking about yeah I mean the only thing Pirtle did in this game uh you know as far as significant impact, he got five offensive rebounds and Mm -hmm. he's been pretty good on the boards in this game. I think that was, you know, a key battleground coming into the series and the Spurs have kind of won that. Uh, They got 15 offensive rebounds in this game to Denver's 10, Uh, a lot of second chance points in this game. So that's one thing I will say for Pirtle, but I just want to say this about Nikola Jokic. You know, I think a lot of the skepticism about Denver coming into the series had to do with Jokic. Like, people are like, oh, is this guy a legit number one guy? Is he going to get exposed on defensive end in the playoffs? Can a, a pass first guy work in the playoffs? And I was always thinking coming into the postseason, 
I'm not that worried about Nikola Jokic. I'm I'm worried about his supporting cast in the starting lineup. And I got to say, I, f- I feel pretty validated through these three games. Yeah, we've been on that for these last couple weeks in the lead up to the playoffs. I mean, there were some worries, at least I had defensively, if he was going to get mashed up with a Houston or a Portland or a Utah. But San Antonio doesn't have the pick-and-roll ball handlers that those teams do that can really draw Jokic out high up on the floor and get him in those one-on-one isos. The Spurs just don't play that brand of basketball, so you weren't going to be worried about him defensively in this series, and he's been great. He's been pretty much the guy he was in the regular season, you know, for the most part. Yeah, Nicole Jokic is a guy. I mean, I, I knew it coming into this playoff series. These games have only, you know, cemented that further in my mind. The Nuggets just got to figure out who the other guys can be in the postseason. I mean, Jamal Murray, you know, Zach Lowe has called him the, the most important swing player over the next three years. I would agree with that. Certainly not a foregone conclusion that this guy is going to be an all-star. And we we just got to see, especially come playoff time, we, we just got to see how these guys fit around Jokic come playoff time. And these next couple games will give us some more important evidence. After the game, Michael Malone, you know, pointed out, he's done this a couple times in the series that, just asking, you know, the, the media and, and Nuggets fans to step back and have some perspective, which is hard to do after your team just got its butt kicked in the playoffs. But he pointed out that Denver is the eighth youngest team in postseason history. Um, and, you know, I think there is, he does certainly have a point. Um, it is important to, to have that perspective. You know, you got to be patient. I think the Nuggets... And one of the biggest reasons why they were so successful as this season is that they did have patience, and they essentially right. ran it back with that group. But I will say, they got cooked by a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of postseason experience tonight. So it felt a little bit, I don't know, hollow or cheap to me because of you know them just getting drilled by a guy who, I mean, he played a handful of mostly garbage time minutes against the Warriors last year, but Derek White it doesn't have postseason experience, really. No. No, the reason the reason they got cooked by Derek White wasn't because of playoff experience. No, it's just because, like they've been for the last couple of years, the Nuggets have not been able to contain point guards on the perimeter, and that's what happened tonight. To your point, though, I looked up the stat after the game. The average age of the Spurs' nine-man rotation, 28 years old. The average age of the Nuggets' nine-man rotation, 26 years old. So there's a difference there. It's not maybe as big of a difference as you would think, though. Yeah, I mean, the Nuggets, they, they played a few more than nine guys in this game because it got out of hand, but they like to play nine guys in a competitive playoff game. Uh, six of those guys, this is their first postseason series ever. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I do think that an experience has showed this series for sure. I just think at times the poise... The attention to detail, the the game plan discipline, it just hasn't been there for the Nuggets when they've needed it to be. And you look across at the Spurs, and I mean, they are just the model of consistency, possession in, possession out, sticking to the fundamentals, KYP, playing their guys' tendencies on uh, when they're on defense, just knowing their matchups. The Spurs almost never make mistakes, and... Right now, it's a pretty fascinating comparison when you look at how the Spurs play and how the Nuggets play and just compare the two teams' discipline 
and attention to detail and execution because a lot of times in this series through just three games, it's been night and day. I mean, you got to think that the the main bullet point in the scouting report for Derek White is this guy likes to go right, right? You would think. Yeah, I mean, how many times did he just get to his right I mean, hand? it's not he likes to go left. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably not he likes to stand out there and shoot threes all game either. Right, it's not he likes to shoot threes. Derek White was not a great three-point shooter this season. He shot around 33% from deep. So, I mean, he's not a guy you were terribly worried about from beyond the arc, but obviously he got really hot tonight and, you know, he's hitting from everywhere. Let's hit a break real quick. We'll come back and wrap up on this game. Look ahead to game four, Saturday in San Antonio, what we're expecting. We'll be right back. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast. As always, we're presented by... The Green Solution. Visit MyGreenSolution.com. Plug in promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Wrap it up here. Friday edition of the show. The Nuggets fall 118-108. Game three to the Spurs. They trail 1-2 to two in the series. How big is this game for? Is this a do-or-die must-win game for? I need to count how many times must win is said in the, the pre and post game interviews next time. Nicole I Jokic had a good point. Every game in the playoffs is a must win. He said, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty much must win. Like they're not coming back from three one. I, I don't think, uh, but yeah, let's ban must win actually. From, yeah. From all future podcasting conversations, but yeah, they're, they're not cl- calling out of a, a three game hole or three to one game hole. So, they need to put their best foot forward, and, and like we said, it might be the time for some lineup changes. You've got to just inject some spark into this thing because I'm worried about if you roll the same lineup out there, you roll the same rotations out there next game, we're going to be sitting there at halftime and saying the Nuggets are a half away from going down 3-1, and by then it might be too late. I think you got to get ahead of this thing try to spark something at the beginning of game four, try to give the Spurs a different look. That's another thing. Like The Nuggets seem like such a predictable team right now. And actually, Jamal Murray spoke to this after the game. He was saying how the familiarity with both teams is to a point where everybody knows what everybody's play calls are, what everybody's actions are. 
and the Nuggets offense has been stalling out after a couple actions, one or two dribble handoffs, one or two cuts on here or there, and then things just stall out, and the Spurs are kind of onto that, and Denver needs more counters. So curious to see how the Nuggets react. I think it could go either way, to be honest. That's part of what the, the cool thing is about the playoffs. You know, by three games in, like, you, you know each other's plays, and it kind of just comes down to, you know, can you stay in front of your guy one-on-one? And, and just these individual battles, like, it, it's almost schoolyard-esque. And, I mean, that's going to benefit the Spurs. I think we know that. Yeah, you're probably right. So we'll see how game four develops. It should be fascinating. Denver really needs this one. They don't want to come back home down 3-1. We'll see if Jamal Murray can have a bounce-back game. We'll see what the Nuggets do with their starting lineup, if Malik Beasley gets in there or not. Who knows? Mike Malone could go either direction, I think. But we'll be back to talk about it on another episode of the show later this weekend. We'll record one after this game on Saturday, a special weekend edition of the show. We'll talk to you guys then. If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, with a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, We have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at moesdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Moe's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend Moe's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue.